Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, April 26th, 2016, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, last month, Starseed Radio Academy celebrated six years on the air, and this week, the Starseed Hotline website is seven years old. Woohoo! Well, uh, tonight we are happy to welcome Robert Morningstar back to our show. Robert is a civilian intelligence analyst, radio journalist, and psychotherapist in New York City, and has been the editor of UFO Digest magazine since 2007. He's a recognized expert in the field of UFOs and alien abductions, providing counseling for many UFO experiencers. His study of Edgar Cayce's works and parapsychology goes back to his early school years. Robert lectured at the Edgar Cayce Center for UFOs and Psychic Development between 2010 and 2012, and will be returning there in May and June this year to teach a seminar on remote viewing, lucid dreaming, and out-of-body experiences. Robert has a long list of accomplishments in the metaphysical fields, including Tai Chi, Qigong, Taoist alchemy to help others develop their own psychic abilities. You can find him on Facebook at Robert Morningstar. At the top of the show, it's the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. We'd like to thank Fiona for hosting the switchboard this evening for any listeners that might have a question or comment for Robert. If you'd like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and we always appreciate Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any show in our archives on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page using the cloud with an arrow on it. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices. I'm going to uh, mute your microphone here for a second, Anastasia. Where was I? Okay, the toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And then if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, please order it at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in before your birthday since there is a waiting list. So first this evening, I am going to introduce Anastasia. And let me get your mic open. With the Starseed News. Hello, Anastasia. Hello, Ariel. Can you hear me? 
Yes, I sure can. Oh, good. Well, my goodness, I thought my microphone was muted. I suppose you all heard me take a big gulp of water. <laughs> so sorry about uh, that. Well, I was. I, I just. I just heard some noise, and I knew that I had your mic open, so I just um, I thought, shut it off for a minute. Well, I, I thought my mute button was on. Well, okay. Anyway, I oh, apologize that's okay. for that. Well, it is great to be back together with you. We have lots of news tonight, so I better get into it right now. We have a solar sector boundary crossing. Uh, that occurs coming up actually in a couple of days on the 28th. They said it will probably occur late in the day that Earth will cross a fold in the heliospheric current sheet. Now, this is a vast, wavy structure in interplanetary space that separates regions of opposition uh, in magnetic polarity. This is called a solar sector boundary crossing, and they say it will probably trigger geomagnetic activity around Earth's poles. We also have a newly discovered asteroid, 2016 FY3, that is flying past the Earth today, about one and a half million miles away. They say there's no danger of a collision, but the 310-meter-wide space rock is close enough to see through amateur telescopes. Interesting. Mm. Well, I did receive uh, a tip from a starseed listener, an important, great, wonderful starseed listener, about the Earth's magnetosphere collapsing. I think maybe some of you might have heard about this. Um, I was, of course, very interested in checking up on this to test the reliability of the article. We have to just be so careful. There's just so much stuff out there. Some of this I just have to track down before I report on the news. I'm only mentioning it tonight to clarify some things about it. Uh, This was originally posted by Newsroom that I think took it off the YouTube website about uh, a headline that said, Earth's magnetosphere collapsed in space on Sunday for two-plus hours. Trouble ahead for all of us. Well, as I began to research this, I could find no reference to it in any mainstream press or any regular press, including Associated Press, UPI, or any of those, as well as any government websites. I did, however, after uh, working on it, manage to wiggle my way into an appropriate uh, NASA website and examined the footage myself, what I could of it. I also went to the YouTube uh, uh, video where this was originally posted, and studied that video, and sure enough, I was able through second-by-second replays to check that out and to verify, in fact, to my own eyes, that it appears that the magnetosphere did collapse, although it was difficult to ascertain how long that was or at what time. Anyway, in my attempts to cross-reference all of this, looking at scientific verbiage and a math that I couldn't possibly understand because I, I am not, I don't work for NASA, okay? Uh, this way, most of this is way over the heads, way, way over the heads of 99% of us, which is what enables these kinds of claims to be made because there's really no average person out there that's capable of validating that or not or even what that might mean. Uh, although the story itself was alarming, um, as one might think, uh, on the surface of things, but after further study, I did discover that this is common that periodically the Earth's magnetosphere does collapse. According to the video that I watched, it was only momentary. It came right back again. So apparently this is not unusual. It occurs uh, uh, sporadically. You can look that up yourself. It occurred uh, various years past, and some not so far back, and uh, it occurs every few years or so, maybe even more often than that. So if you have heard about that, I would say to you this is normal uh, things that happen up there in the sky, and it's really not a harbinger of terrible things, although I will say 
that Live Science did an article a couple of years back where they asserted that the Earth's magnetic field is actually experiencing instabilities. So that part has definitely been validated by science in language that I can understand as far as I can ascertain the magnetosphere shrinking or collapsing is not uncommon. And so I want to pass that along to all of you. For those of you that might have heard about this article, maybe this will be helpful to you. So I don't think it's big alarm bells, everybody, and I just wanted to clear that up. But I do want to thank the listener that sent that because that's really important stuff, and and we have to stay on top of that. And I attempted to do some research just so I would be sure to pass along what was as accurate as I could ascertain it to be. Well, in uh, Nicaragua, the San Cristobal volcano has erupted again. It's known as El Viejo, called the Old Guy. It's the oldest volcano in Nicaragua. It uh, erupted in three large explosions here on the 22nd, and it is part of the continued volcanic unrest along the Ring of Fire, as you will see by my continued stories. Uh, There has uh, been evacuation prepared by authorities along routes and shelters in the area of Mount Karensini, the volcano that is in Sumatra, Indonesia. Over 10,000 people that are living on the slope of that volcano are highly vulnerable to eruption risks. They are saying the activity of this volcano has been increasing in recent days, and Mount Karensini is 3,800 meters high in the Sumatra Island and has witnessed small eruptions recently. Also in Asia, they say Eurasia's largest volcano, and here I go, this is tough, this is a Russian word, everybody. The name of it is Klyuchevsky Asapka, and it's in the Russian's Far East Peninsula. It erupted just two days ago, shooting hot ash miles into the air. The volcanic ash cloud has spread over an area of almost 13,500 square feet, and it's drifted 124 miles southeast toward uh, the sea uh, of Ochkosh in the Pacific Ocean. Now, right now, there are 40 volcanoes erupting, with 34 of them right along the Ring of Fire. That's right, 40 volcanoes are erupting around the planet right now, and only six of them are not within the Ring of Fire. That is a high number. Now, there were a total of 3,542 volcanic eruptions during the entire 20th century. And when you divide that number by 100, that gives you an average of about 35 volcanic eruptions per year, per 100 years. So now the number of volcanoes that are erupting right now is well above the 20th century's average for an entire calendar year. And we are just witnessing a tremendous amount of earthquake activity as well. Now, Nepal was just hit by the worst earthquake that it had seen in 80 years, and scientists are telling us that the Himalayas actually dropped by an astonishing three feet as a result of that one earthquake. And in Ecuador, a six-point magnitude earthquake struck off the coast of Ecuador on the 22nd, according to the USGS. Now, that new trembler four days ago uh, just comes after the devastating 7.8 quake that recently occurred that killed almost 600 people in Ecuador. And just the day before that, the day before the 6.0, there was a 5.8 that hit in Ecuador in a different region along the northwest coast. Vienna, Austria, Austria, would you imagine that that has earthquakes? Well, listen to this. They had a small earthquake that hit lower Austria and Vienna or yesterday, they say, around lunchtime. Uh, residents could feel it because it was a 4.1 magnitude quake. Now, 
to my surprise, the article states that it's not unknown for Austria to experience small earthquakes. They say the most recent one of a similar magnitude was thought to have occurred in 2013. But geologists have warned since last December that the Vienna region is at risk of being hit by a strong earthquake at some point in the future. You know, I thought about that for a little bit, and I thought about how the Appalachian Mountains in the United States have been ocean, had been seabed for about three times in the history of the planet. So it's not unusual for mountains to become oceans and oceans to become mountains. That does happen in the long cycle of Earth's life. So I guess that, yes, uh, uh, Austria could have earthquakes, and they have. Well, after that really big tremor, really disastrous tremor from that 7.3 magnitude quake that shook the city of Fukuoka on uh, April 15th, uh, just a day after a 6.5 ma magnitude earthquake rattled the same area. Now, the streets in this area of two towns, I can't pronounce their names, they're in Japanese, but uh, the streets of two little towns in that area have been covered by a layer of very thick, mysterious foam. It's concerning to everybody. Now, what is this foam that's been turning up? There are pictures of that on the Internet. They've taken samples of it. Um, in general, nobody really knows what it is. The, in England, in the U.K., uh, not so long ago, there was a mystery foam that uh, swept in or actually engulfed a, a northern seaside town that actually came in off the ocean. But it was really, really deep. And then they've discovered mysteri mysterious foam at Lake Mead, um, there's been storm in a, uh, excuse me, uh, foam in a storm drain. I'll get that out. Foam storm French town. That's all hard to say in one line. <laughs> but in a French town, there was foam that appeared out of a storm drain. And uh, also in Australia, they have experienced this mysterious foam. Uh, this stuff's just coming up out of nowhere, and this just happened in Japan after this earthquake. Any of you can find any information about this foam, or you want to write me an email about that, please do. I'd like to find out more about that if you know anything about it, or if you've been in an area where this foam has occurred. All right, well, now on to national and local news. Let's talk a little bit about that on this side of the, of the pond. In the United States, we're going to talk about our home. Um, in Colorado... Uh, they have uh, voted on a decision about vaccines. Um, the news is saying that we should chalk up one for mandatory vaccine opponents in Colorado. Opponents of a mandatory vaccine bill defeated a pr proposed law which would have allowed the government to track children who haven't been vaccinated to track them through a database. In fact, there was so much opposition, the legislation didn't even make it to a vote. They say, the authorities say, they've now taken that law off the table for at least a year. They say that uh, the public health arguments that they used to initiate this legislation failed to defeat the people's common sense. Don't track our kids. Good for them. Uh, and in Michigan, um, Michigan State Police have been accused of using social media to spy on critics of the Flint lead contamination crisis. And yes, after contaminating Flint's water supply with lead, a new report reveals that the government now monitors social media for hints uh, for talk or subversive communications that are related to the Flint water crisis. 
According to some reports, officials with the Michigan State Police have been conducting online surveillance for comments about Flint's Flint's lead contamination. They say that uh, they are keeping an eye on people and uh, they don't want people to get out of hand, and so they're watching them. As a matter of fact, apparently they arrested one person who... mm, let's say, uh, <laughs> was very unkind toward the government, and uh, they just took him in and posted charges against him. So, um, Norway, you've, heard all about the refu- you've all heard about the refugees that are uh, pouring into Europe. Well, Norwegian authorities are now offering, offering uh, $3,600 to refugees who are willing to go back to their home countries. These are asylum seekers who will leave the country voluntarily. They say that they want to get their uh, refugees out of uh, Norway. They want them to leave, and they think that they can save money if they will just give the refugees money up front and sue them on back home. And so the program, uh, which started just yesterday, is going to run for six weeks, and the money will be paid to the first 500 asylum seekers who apply for voluntary return to their home countries. Well, I think a lot of our Starseed listeners probably fly in airplanes, of course, and uh, <laughs> and otherwise we, we fly other <clears throat> But as you go through airport security, sometimes you're asked to throw this or that out, maybe a bottle of water, maybe some perfume, maybe a bottle of soda. Well, one woman was forced to throw away almost four gallons of breast milk at uh, London's Heathrow Airport, according to the Washington Post. Now, she was really upset about this. She said, this wasn't some rare bottle of wine I was trying to negotiate. She said, this was deeply personal. This was my son's health and nourishment. In her Facebook post, the woman says that she balanced motherhood with a job that involves travel, so she has to uh, pump breast milk wherever she can, wherever she can, how she can. And uh, she had saved enough breast milk to feed her child on a 15-day business trip through Europe uh, where other countries allow breast milk to pass, but they don't let it to pass in London, so she had to give it up. Oh. So, mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> mistakes happen, but a, Nor- a Norwegian F-16 jet mistakenly fired at its own control tower. Can you believe that? That's that's like oh out of the movies, God. right? Yeah, this just happened yesterday, hit the news yesterday. Uh, the Norwegian Air Force says that a F-16 fighter jet accidentally fired at a lookout tower near three mil- military personnel. Um, boy, there's a missing word there. Anyway, uh, they fired at the lookout tower during a target practice, but that no one was hurt. Now, the incident occurred... Uh, after midnight, they said, while they were on a run, uh, they were supposed to fire at a simulated target in the airfield uh, about 500 yards away, but that something went wrong. And they said that Lookout Tower was uh, slightly damaged by the gunfire, and they couldn't give any more details pending the outcome of an investigation by a special commission. Well, I bring up that they did this after midnight. It was dark, but you know, I would assume that these jets have all type of devices and controls <laughs> to enable them to fire accurately uh, in the daytime or at night. But anyway, I can imagine the guys in the tower uh, mm, watching that come at them. Well, there is a really interesting article 
uh, that I wanted to share with you. They have discovered, brand new, a newly discovered lake in Antarctica, which has been sealed off from the outside world for millions of years. And scientists believe that it could hold previously undiscovered life. Can you imagine a lake that's been sealed off from the outside world for millions of years? They say that the giant underground body of water will be the second largest found on the continent, and if confirmed, and is that it's located uh, near a re- research station, they say it will be ideal for study. They say this lake could potentially hold undiscovered or prehistoric life left to evolve on its own due to its subglacial state. Now, they said that the water in the lake remains liquid because of geothermal activity that heats it from underneath. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Mysteries everywhere. Well, it's it's spring where I live. I think it's spring where most of you live. But in London, uh, they're getting snow. They really are, today. They say that snow and sleet is falling in many parts of the U.K. as temperatures are just struggling to get into double figures. They say the prospect of a spring like May seems to be a long way off. They've been having thunder, lightning, sleet showers in uh, northern areas of the U.K. and in parts of Scotland. Uh. Well, in the town of Green Mountain, Colorado, the police department just up and quit. They, <laughs> they just quit. They didn't give any reason. Uh, the chief of police announced his resignation on Tuesday, and then he was quickly followed by all the other officers. It's now been four days without law enforcement, and guess what? The town of Green Mountain Falls doesn't look like an old-time Wild West shootout town. Folks are getting along just fine without police. The mayor had to say, well, it's election year, and some people just stay and some people go. (laughs) She said, I think that happens at every level of government. But the police department, I don't know that I've ever heard of such a thing before. Well, in our final story for tonight, this is absolutely fascinating. So metaphysicians, spiritual people, hang on to hang on to your seats here for a minute. I'm going to share this with you. This comes from phys.org, and a researcher has discovered that unique behaviors of water molecules, uh, they found them, uh, water molecules unmatched by any known gas, liquid, or solid states. And I'll explain that in a moment. Neutron scattering and computational modeling have revealed unique and unexpected behavior of water molecules under extreme confinement that is unmatched by any known gas, liquid, or solid states. What could that mean? Well, in a paper published in Physical Review Letters, researchers at the Department of Energy's Oak Ridge National Laboratory describe a new tunneling state of water molecules confined in hexagonal ultra-small channels. The discovery was made uh, with experiments done at Ornell's Spallation Neutron Source Laboratory, and it demonstrates features of water under ultra-confinement in rocks, soil, and cell walls, which scientists predict will be of interest across many disciplines. Now, what this means is that at low temperatures, this tunneling water exhibits quantum motion, through the separating potential walls, which is forbidden in the classical world. Classical mechanical physics, we can't penetrate barriers. You can't put your hand through a wall. But in this case, 
And, and in classical physics, by the way, water is supposed to be held back by parameters or barriers. Now, we're not talking about a subpermeable uh, membrane on a cell, but we are talking about a different model of behavior. And what this ultimately means is that the oxygen and hydrogen atoms of the water molecule, in this case, when they've been highly compressed, become delocalized and therefore simultaneously present in all six symmetrically equivalent positions in the channel at the same time. In Whoa. other words, it's a non-local phenomenon. It applies in, in quantum mechanics and has no parallel in everyday experience. Well, here is physical findings of a quantum principle. When quantum mechanics has supposedly been theory or uh, you know, minimally suggested in laboratory uh, settings with quanta particles and waves. But here now we are finding a material thing, an element of the Earth that is behaving in quantum properties. Now just think about that. That may signal some very interesting shifts, because if it can happen to the water, what else can it happen? And speaking of it being in a compressed state, I just want to add this. With all of the pressure that the world is under and all of the pressure that we feel in our individual lives and all of the earth changes and the political unrest and all of the forces battling one against the other, this does create a great deal of pressure. And what this pressure might be viewed as is pressure for change, pressure for transformation. As someone very dear to me has often said, that it takes pressure to make a tea kettle sing. So once the thing starts to boil and the pressure begins to build, is that something to be afraid of? I think not. As these water molecules indicate, when you confine a living thing, when you confine an element, when you confine energy, pressure will build. Does it have to blow out sideways? Does it have to be destructive? Or can it be transformative? Can we utilize quantum reality in this case. I think we all know the answer to that to listen to this program. Mm -hmm. So let that be our goal as the world begins to rock and roll. And definitely as I do the news every week, every week I'm going, oh my gosh. You know, there are many things that I cannot share with you on this show. They're just not pleasant enough to discuss. So the world is in a state and maybe teetering in many ways on the edge of insanity. Maybe it's fallen into that abyss. But here we are, we signed up for this, and, you know, there is such wonderful potentiality to be played out. And that is what came to my mind when I read this article about the water. The water with the quantum properties. Well, we are made of water, aren't we, Ariel? Mm -hmm. We are an enormous percentage of water. So let's take the pressure that we're feeling in this world as a pressure for change and adapt in quantum ways to achieve that which is outwardly not possible in this uh, world that we think we know, but right. a very different world indeed. All right, that's it for tonight's news. It's going to be a good show. Oh, it sure is. And thanks so much, Anastasia, for all the work and research that you do for bringing us the Starseed News. You're sure welcome. You know, I learn a lot. <laughs> thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> See you all well, next week. Thanks so much. And um right now I am going to I'm gonna see if, if Lavendar is still hanging in there. Lavendar, are you there? I'm here. 
Okay. Well, um, I know you called me earlier today and, and said that there were huge tornadoes right in your vicinity. So we're glad that you're, yeah. <laughs> that you're still in one place. Yeah, we just had one 14 miles from here, but it was it was south of us going in another direction, but we're still under the um, – in fact, 18 million people are under a watch uh, in the next 24 hours from Oklahoma, uh, I think, up up that way through. Um, I'm not sure which way it's going, actually. <laughs> so it's it's leaving here once it goes, it gets through with us, it, it goes east. So it's just that time of year. It's starting early. Yeah, it is. Well, I'm glad that you're... You're sitting tight, at least for the moment, and hope that it... Uh, if, they, if they blow it, the sirens, I'll have to hang up. If they blow okay. the sirens. Okay, well, then I'll take over if that happens. So um, we have Robert Morningstar on our switchboard here, so let me just get your microphone open. Hello, Robert. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's been a very enjoyable show so far. I haven't enjoyed oh, news like that. In a long I said time. Anastasia does a, she does a great job. Oh, congratulations. I was uh, simply enthralled, and I, especially by the last uh, item of news about the quantum state of water, because right there we may have a partial explanation for the subject that we're going to discuss today, remote viewing, lucid dreaming, and out-of-body experiences. It's, it's remarkable. So thank oh, you for having well. me on the show. It, well, it's our pleasure. So I'm going to let Lavendar take over, and um, it's all yours, Lavendar. Okay, thank you. Well, Robert, I'm just really uh, pleased to uh, have you come on our show, but I just have to ask you. It just, um, you know, this new show that's on, um, I guess it's on Fox, called Lucifer. His name is Lucifer Morningstar. Have people been kidding you about this? Oh, yeah, for years. That's uh, As a matter of fact, I've been replying I've been replying on Facebook and uh, putting out links uh, explaining the um, the misinterpretation of Scripture and the um, the confusion about it. Yeah. Uh, and my counter is this: um, Jesus said, "I am I am the first and the last. I am He who is dead and now is alive." I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. That's in the book of Revelations. So that statement from the book of Revelations really puts to rest that hypothesis. Yeah, but I'll yeah. tell you, it, it, there is some, there is a, in, in mythology, there is this concept of the Dioscuri, the cosmic twins. And the real mystery of uh, the relationship between uh, Christ and Satan and Lucifer and Morningstar is that they are, one is an antecedent state of the other. And at the beginning, at the creation, at the Big Bang, as uh, people call it now in physics, there was one single homogeneous state of the universe before it split into the various uh, conditions that now create the multiverses of um, space-time, light, and matter. And so the morning star may be thought of as Christ in the womb. And the, the birth, the Big Bang, and the result was the birth of the cosmic Christ. And what happens uh, in natural ch- childbirth? When the child is born, there is an afterbirth. 
it had its purpose in nurturing and protecting the infant before it was born. But then after the birth of the infant, the afterbirth is superfluous. It's uh, served its purpose. And so Lucifer is the afterbirth of the universe. He had a purpose. He had a role. But when the light was born, he, he wished to go back into the antecedent state. And that is what turned him from Lucifer into Satan. Yeah. So wow. Satan and Lucifer, Christ and Lucifer, are not the same beings. It is all part of a trinity of cosmic spirits whose interaction results in the creation and the maintenance of the material world. And I use the plural in terms of multiverses and universes. There's, um, there's, an, inter, uh, there's an interweaving of realities and we only live in, in half of it, in the perceptual world. Uh, you, you really got me going with that question. <laughs> well, thank happy, you for that explanation. I'm very happy to But I wanted I'm to ask you about your study with the Edgar Casey work, and how long have okay. you been involved in it, and can you share some stories about, about what you've experienced with the Edgar Casey group? In fact, oh. you know, when I first started reading when I was in my teens, I, that's where I started reading was about Edgar Casey. That was that was my primer. Well, it's mine as well because in my family, I grew up in a very psychic family, and um, psychism and the gifts of the well, I call them the gifts of the spirit, um, telepathy, precognition, clairvoyance, clairaudience. Um, that was a common everyday event in my family, and I couldn't understand why growing up there was so much skepticism in American science and in the general public, except for the few who who knew what was happening. So I chose my path to to figure out why I had it or why my family had it and why others didn't have it or denied it. And so very early in my life, in my teen teenage years, I was uh, looking you might say, for guidance. And Edgar Casey and Hans Holzer, the great ghost hunter, their books came into my, uh, into the realm of my, in my orbit. And that's where I uh, developed the groundwork of my view of the psychic world and uh, paranormal, paranormal phenomena. So throughout high school, I was reading Edgar Casey, and uh, it just spoke to my soul. And the things that he was describing were things that I actually were, was experiencing. Let me give you two little examples of how early in my life I experienced these um, uh, gifts of the Spirit. I remember vividly in 1957 that I was in my sleep and I started hearing a song. And the song was the song from the Bridge on the River Kwai, uh, Colonel Bogey's March, the whistling song. And that song was so loud in my, my dreaming mind that I was whistling along in my sleep with it. And then suddenly I, I was awakened and there was silence in the house. And my uncle went over to the radio and he turned, and he turned on the radio and the song without a break in, in the beat or the rhythm just continued from inside my head and out of the radio. That was my first realization that my brain was tuned into radio waves and that I could hear radio even when it wasn't on. You know, I did that when I was in a dentist chair. I did that with the radio 
Yeah, oh, same thing that you just mentioned. But I was in a dentist chair when it happened because I had a lot of mercury in my mouth at that yeah, time. Yeah, silver and mercury. But this interesting you should mention that because this led to the development of a technology called VTS, voice to skull technology, which is a very highly classified uh, program of research where uh, it started with people who had uh, new fillings put into their teeth and could hear radio. Uh, stations and they reported it back to the dentists in their 40s and people thought those people were crazy but the phenomenon continued through the 50s until finally the CIA uh, heard about it and said you know all these people can't be crazy let's start uh, figuring this thing out ultimately they discovered that the filling was acting as an antenna and at the same time being connected to the the nerve right? the filling goes into the tooth and you have of the, the nerve of the tooth down there, uh, the nerve was creating an amplifier and people were hearing radios. So now the VTS technology involves the discovery that if you can crisscross two microwave beams, um, like an X and Y axis, and then connect the microphone to the X and the Y axis and create an interference pattern, where they intersect will create... Um, an interference pattern that is can communicate voice directly to a human brain. But the human brain has to be targeted so you can get the crisscross of the two beams. So when the crisscross of the two beams is, is crossing through the brain and somebody speaks in a microphone somewhere far away, the person can hear it. And I have found that um, a lot of these strange people who go on shooting sprees talk about voices in their heads. That's and right. Have, oh, you're right on. Right. Remember the fellow in the Washington Navy Yard? He kept going from one hotel to another trying to escape the voices, and there was three people always talking to him, and he seemed seemed really under great duress. uh, Yeah, I I knew that was a mind control experiment gone, either right or wrong. (laughs) Yeah, so um, we're dealing with a whole new world of um, physics and a whole new world of science. Everybody's been kept inside a box. Um, and the mind, you know, as you said, uh, the news was amazing, especially the thing about the water molecules tunneling out, that we're on, when we're under pressure, the energy seeks another avenue of uh, exit or expression. And I think that that's what we're dealing with here. With regard to Edgar Casey, for those who don't know, Edgar Casey was born March 18th, 1877, and he died January 3rd, 1945, age of 67. But during the course of his life, he, he became known as the sleeping prophet for his ability to go into a trance and to um, diagnose uh, people's illnesses and discover remedies for their maladies. Um, he's a very interesting character and has been throughout my life. As I said, I started reading Edgar Casey at the age of 14, and that's when I got his uh, teachings on Atlantis. The interesting thing about uh, Casey is that he would go into a trance and align himself north to south or south to north. When his head was pointed in one direction, he could read the body of the individual making um, the inquiry about their state of health and diagnose the person. If he sat the other way, he would intersect with the person's previous lives and incarnations. And that is when he began to speak about Atlantis and how many of us are reincarnations of Atlanteans who come here 
to um, well to advance ourselves and to help others advance. That's that's the purpose uh, here on Earth. Uh, it's uh, like a college, you know. You go through varying degrees of education, and then you take a vacation, and then you go back to school. So. I think reincarnation can be described in those terms, uh, in that analogy. And uh, sometimes you get promoted and other times you get uh, sent back. So that's uh, my general uh, overview of that uh, theory of reincarnation and why we're here. But it's my belief that DNA is the most marvelous creation in the universe and that our DNA is an archive of knowledge and wisdom and understanding that really goes back to that point where I de- which I described earlier as the um, the birth of the light the birth of the cosmic Christ the big bang we were all there and we are all there still there we're still connected to that point unfortunately many of us have been uh, forced to assume a state of amnesia that's one of my favorite uh, statements from Graham Hancock, one of the most brilliant minds of our times. He says that humanity is a species with amnesia, that we don't know where we came from, who we are, or why we're here. But we have the capacity to go within and access this knowledge, which is archived within our DNA. And I believe that that's what happened to me and has happened to me uh, periodically throughout my life as each of my chakras has opened. Um, I have derived knowledge and insight that comes directly from this archive that is, it's, in, it's innate within us. But uh, through poor education and um, coercion, we've been for, forced to forget who we really are and to assume false identities and roles for which we were not really born. We have a purpose and um you have to keep seeking your purpose. One good way of finding your purpose is to pursue happiness. That's one of you know. I consider pursuit of happiness a civic obligation. You know, it's it's uh, it's right there in our founding documents. Pursuit of life, liberty, uh, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. People forget that third one, and I'm striving to recapture that uh, that incentive, that uh, that that drive. So the psychic world of Edgar Casey is part and parcel of my makeup. It's one of my cornerstones, as is the work of Hans Holzer, uh, the ghost hunter, because each of them uh, is a guide into this realm into which we will all ultimately enter at the, the point that we call death. So I think it's good to be prepared People say, you know, what's what's so important about remote viewing or lucid dreaming? Well, it's a very practical tool. It's a survival tool that mankind had and utilized until 10,000 years ago. 10,000 years ago is when man developed speech and left another state of consciousness. But for over a million years, a certain instinct and a certain sense of intuition guided mankind and assured his survival and I believe that these three things that I've described remote viewing, a fancy name now for uh, clairvoyance 
lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences were all part of uh, gifts of the spirit and parts of the human soul. And fortunately for me, they, they were expressed in my life before anybody could uh, make me disbelieve in them. And so my, my search for an explanation of why and how has kept me on track, and that's why I chose uh, psychology as my field when I went to college with the goal of pursuing parapsychology. And then, through the grace of God, I got involved in Chinese martial arts and learned uh, Kung Fu and Tai Chi. I learned about Buddhism through Kung Fu and Shaolin. It's based in Buddhism. But then I came upon Tai Chi, or Tai Chi came upon me, and I learned about Taoism, which is uh, the Chinese, the oldest of the Chinese belief systems, and it is called the Way. And I believe that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was talking about the same Tao that I am following now. And many of us are awakening to the Tao. And the Tao is not the same as Buddhism. It's quite distinct and apart. So, so let me ask you, since you mentioned Tai Chi, that um, don't you have a, a new film coming out, The Professor, uh, Tai right. Chi's Journey West. Can you tell us about that? Yes. I'm very happy to tell you about that because Professor Chang Man Ching was the grandmaster of Yang family Tai Chi Chuan. And in the nineteen seventy one and seventy two I became acquainted with Tai Chi masters here in New York and they invited me to become a student of the Yang style and ultimately I became an adept and a disciple of Professor Cheng Man Ching. And when he passed away, before I had gotten word that he had passed away in China, I had a visitation from him. And he came into my abode here in New York, in this building where I live in another apartment. And I became frightened. At first I was paralyzed. While awake, I felt paralyzed. And I was lying in bed and I could see the room. And this person walked right toward me. And I was alone in my apartment. And of course, you know, you fear intruders. And so immediately the, the fear of flight reaction jumped into me. And, but I was paralyzed, so I couldn't run away. And I was really concerned how this person got in here. But as the person approached, uh, the only thing I could do the, uh, move, that I could move was my hand. And I moved my hand and made a fist as if in, def in the defensive mode. And at that moment, I heard this voice say to me, don't be afraid, Robert. Nothing can harm you. And with that assurance, I decided to trust it, him, whoever it was. I didn't know who it was. And this person walked over to, this, to my bedside and reached down and touched me on my forehead, my third eye, as you call it. And when that person uh, touched my forehead, I was infused with a magnitude of love that, that is incomprehensible. I, I could not conceive of anyone who could love me so much. And the only comparison that I can make to that love was the love of a parent for an ailing child, concerned with its well-being or its survival. And I was receiving this love and this blessing and totally flabbergasted is the word, uh, in the presence of the Spirit and with all my might, as paralyzed as I felt, I took my right arm and brought my hand to my right eye, which was closed. My left eye was the eye that was seeing all these things. 
my right eye was closed, but I felt that if I could open my right eye, I'd be able to see the whole person. Because lying on my left side, my left eye was seeing the floor, the bed, and the bottom half up to the chest of this person in a black robe that had walked over to my bed. So with my all my might, I brought my hand to my eye and tried to use my four or five fingers of my right hand to pry open my eyelid and uh, so that it could see. And that eye would not, would not open. So my left side was brave, but my right side was craven. My right side just didn't want to see who was there. And with all the might of my hand, I could not pry open my eyelid to see. When I did that, the person stepped back, walked away. And as he walked away, I, I saw a white head. I saw a long gown, uh, like a professor's frock. And I saw that the feet appeared not to touch the ground, walking on air. And then I looked at the whole body, and it disappeared from the upper right to the lower left, dematerialized. And my thought at that moment was, oh, my God, it's just like the, the, the teleportation machine on Star Trek. And then I said to myself, now I know why they call them shades, because he disappeared like a shade being rolled down, rolled up. So that was Professor Cheng Menching. One hour later, I received word that Professor Cheng had died in China three days before, and it had just been announced in the Chinese newspapers. So at that moment, when I got the word, I realized that my whole life had changed, that every decision I had ever made in life, for good or for evil, uh, for right, wrong, make a right turn here, make a left turn there, jaywalk here, stay still here, um, whatever I had done throughout my life, that that was the changing turning point of my life. The interesting thing is that five days before, I had had a premonitory dream in which I was standing in the same rooms where this occurred. And in that dream, I looked up into the sky and I saw a 747 jet airliner silently coming down toward my building, about to crash into my building. And the voice said to me in the dream, now this was a lucid dream, be careful, Robert, you might die. And so seeing this aircraft coming in to crash into my building, I started running through the apartment to try to escape. And I heard the crash of the airplane onto my building and into the other building. And I ran to a window and saw it embedded in the, in the other building with the wings straddling two buildings and the jet engines falling and crashing and exploding. And when I woke up from that dream, I was drenched in sweat, totally in tremors. And I said to myself, my brother is in mortal danger, but what can I do about it? And thinking about my real um, family brothers, I have two younger brothers. One was in California and one was in Central America. And what, what could I possibly do about it? But I realized five days later that my brother was Professor Cheng Man Ching and that he thought enough of me to come and say goodbye in this way and that I would dedicate the rest of my life to pursuing Tai Chi and teaching Tai Chi and sharing the spirit of Tai Chi with others. So Professor Cheng uh, died in March of 1975, 
And he has a very large following of uh, Tai Chi students. Uh, some of them are masters and grandmasters now. And for the last five years, my friend Barry Strugatz and Tai Chi master Ken Van Sickle, Tai Chi brother, have been working on a documentary uh, detailing Professor Cheng's life. And it is going to be released on June 9th, actually May 6th in Los Angeles and June 9th here in New York. And it's called Professor Cheng's Journey to the West. And I appear in it and I describe what I've just told you, not to give the whole movie away, but there's a lot of good Tai Chi form and a lot of the history of Professor Cheng and his uh, marvelous career. He's called the, uh, the Master of the Five Excellences. And one of them was uh, medicine, herbal medicine. And he treated me and healed me from some maladies that I'd suffered, from injuries uh, suffered in Kung Fu bouts. And uh, so I, I'm very beholden to him, to Edgar Casey, and uh, Hans Holzer. We're all part of a spiritual family, regardless of what uh, the materialistic, uh, materialistic science and the materialistic mass media tries to pawn on us. We're here for a spiritual purpose, and... Uh, we have to make the most of it. So, I just I will love be... that that story that you just told. It's I could I could almost see it. Uh, I closed my eyes as you were talking. It's like wow, what an experience. I also feel like that he imparted some some information into your DNA when that took oh, place. That, Do you feel that oh, that happened? Oh, absolutely. When this happened and he left, I knew things that I had never learned. I knew things about Tai Chi with absolute certainty. And I didn't know how I knew them, but I knew that I knew them. So what happened was that for the next 10 years, I engaged in a quest to find the proofs of the things that I knew. You see? Yeah. One, I of, the things I, one of the things I knew from the first time that I saw Tai Chi demonstrated by a, a young Tai Chi master who actually became my mentor. When I saw him do 10 moves of the Tai Chi form, I said to myself, my God, that looks like it came from outer space. Because <laughs> the only thing that I could relate to the the, the slowness, the fluidity, the lightness, the, the, the anti-gravity effect of Tai Chi was remembering seeing uh, one of my heroes, Edward White, the astronaut, one of the three who died in the Apollo fire, yeah. uh, doing spacewalks during the Gemini, uh, Gemini period of space flight. Uh, spacewalking was the only thing that I could relate to, uh, to Tai Chi at that moment. And I said, that looks like it came from outer space. Well, with that certainty, I began my studies of uh, Chinese language and Chinese culture in 1973 and learned to read and write and speak the Chinese language. And in 1979, I discovered a book. There were two books. One book was a poem about the origins of Tai Chi Chuan, which identified certain characters. And the second book told the story of a Chinese emperor, Xuan Sun, the last emperor of the Tang Dynasty, or next to the last emperor of the Tang Dynasty, who claimed, and his claims were law, his claims were history, and it's written in Tang Dynasty history that the emperor of China, Xuanzong, was walking on the ramparts of the castle in Xi'an 
the ancient imperial capital where the 10,000 terracotta soldiers were discovered. And he said that a moonship came down from the sky and landed on the ramparts of the castle. And that the moon people came out and invited him to go with them to uh, Peng Lai Shan, which is the Chinese equivalent of heaven or fairyland. And it's supposed to be situated on the moon. And the emperor said yes, and he accepted their invitation. And he got into the moonship, and he went with them, the moon people. And he went to the moon where he was entertained by beautiful fairies dressed in resplendent rainbow-colored garments. And he heard the celestial music, which completely entranced him and enthralled him. The next morning, he was brought back to Xi'an. And he described how coming in, upon leaving, he saw the village, the tenth city that grew around the castle walls, with people doing commerce, cooking, wrestling, playing kung fu, uh, herding their cows and, and sheep and, and so on. And the, the, the hubbub, the busyness of business in the tenth city. In the morning, when he was brought back at dawn, this tent village was just waking, waking up. The campfires of the night were smoldering out. The sheep and the, and the cows were starting to bleat and to call. And, and life was coming back. And he got off the moonship. And he was so excited by his experience that he went to his wife and he said to her, Come quickly. I want you to learn this dance before I forget it. And I'm going to write down this music before I forget it. And that became the origins of Tai Chi Chuan, and it was called rainbow dancing. It was a very rapid spin dance, very much like Sufism is, faster than Sufism. And the people who entered that vortex would experience a direct communion with the Godhead and experience universal truth. And there's a lot to be said about the relationship between rotation or spin and cosmic order because it is spin in the universe that imparts order to the universe. Were there no spin, everything would be chaos. Everything would be chaotic. But once something starts to spin, according to the left-hand rule, there is formed a north pole and a south pole and an equator. And so the natural order of the universe is based on spin. So this is an insight that uh, came to me after I became the first rainbow dancer in a thousand years and began wow. to form. So that's a big part of uh, this story. And so I was right when I saw Tai Chi and I said, my God, that came from outer space. Oh, well, wow. apparently, apparently the, the emperor of the Tang Dynasty of China was approached by the moon people, whom we would now call ETs, and taught these cosmic secrets, and they are transmitted through a dance. You know, like, you know how the bees communicate where the honey field is? You know, they'll come in, they'll fly into the hive, they'll check the, the angle of the sunlight, they'll go in and they start buzzing around and shaking and dancing against each other, and through the dance, the other bees learn where the honey field is, and then they all come out of the, out of the beehive and they know exactly where to go. Well, that's my analogy for this um, this transmission of uh, sacred knowledge 
and uh, cosmic secrets and the natural order of the universe. So this is part and parcel of uh, the training that I do, that what results from practicing Tai Chi or yoga or Sufism or Kundalini. The problem is language, uh, that the language limits it and puts it into a cultural context that then becomes exclusive and uh, proprietary. But this is something that belongs to all human beings and all humankind. And I'd like, I'd like to read something to you from, from Scripture, uh, from Peter the Apostle when he was quoting Joel. And he said, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. That is where we stand now. The Spirit of God is being poured upon us. And these are our birthright. And they're part of our survival skills. Remote viewing, lucid dreaming, and out-of-body experiences are all part of spiritual life, preparations for death, and preparation for rebirth. Can you give us a description of the difference between remote viewing, lucid dreaming, and out-of-body Sure. Remote viewing is a very fancy term that's been coined over the last uh, 30 years as a result of experiments conducted by the U.S. government uh, to give it a very um, scientific basis because, you know, clairvoyance and clairaudience are kind of like airy-fairy terms that go back to uh, mesmerism and Madame Blavatsky. However, remote viewing is a serious study that was uh, experiments were developed by the CIA, by the U.S. Army, by the United States Navy, Office of Naval Intelligence, and to develop these uh, skills for spying purposes primarily. And they were successful. The Stargate Project, which was run by the U.S. Army, resulted in the genius of uh, Ingo Swan, who's the most well-known remote viewer of our time. And uh, my own experience... uh, comes forth out of my participation in an Office of Naval Intelligence-sponsored program at Fordham University to develop artificial intelligence. And what I was told in this, in this uh, experiment as a research fellow and a test subject was that they were going to put these uh, electronic uh, devices on, around my, on my head to, to measure brain voltage, uh, brainwave functions, and map neural networks. And that this information would be taken and programmed into a computer that would teach a computer how to think like a human being. And I thought, that is a pretty amazing experiment. I would love to be part of that. Well, the part of it that they didn't tell me was that this headband that had six electrodes attached to it that led to a computer and then to a polygraph machine where these six brain functions and brain areas uh, activities was being mapped out kind of exactly the way you see earthquakes mapped out on a seismograph. Well, these six functions were being plotted on this graph paper as it was running out attached to a computer. Well, what they didn't tell me or what they didn't realize is that the soul has an electrical component to it. And when they attached me to this computer, not only did the computer learn how to think like a human being, 
this human being took a microchip of the computer and learned how to think like a computer. And that is why I possess artificial intelligence. Just by chance. <laughs> so it's kind of like a backfire. They, they tried to do one thing. Maybe they expected it. I have a feeling that they, they really did have a, a, a theory in mind and that this did happen. But the result is that my intellect was boosted significantly. I had an, in, uh, an intelligence quotient in high school of 131. And then a few years ago when I was tested again, uh, particularly in geometry, I had a, an IQ of 166. And I ascribe that to the boost. And I like to call it the Krell brain boost. If any of you have seen this movie, The Forbidden Planet, they, the the uh, pioneers from Earth come upon a, a lost civilization and they had a teaching machine and they attached their brains to these three electrodes. And if it didn't kill you, it made you a, a super genius. And so it's called the Krell brain boost in the movie. So that's why how I describe this experience that I had in this uh, artificial intelligence program. But the result is it boosted my spirituality and uh, my quest um, to develop myself and to help others find their souls and thereby their spirits. And so I teach, I'm teaching uh, remote viewing. So remote viewing is this, let's call it espionage, modern day espionage, where you target something, you are awake, you are alert, you are concentrating it and you're doing it consciously. And you have a target, an intentional destination, maybe a scene, a site, a person, a certain body of information. It might be a safe where somebody wants to read what's inside. Lucid dreaming is just that. You are in your bed, you are asleep, but you are in a, a state of cosmic consciousness that allows you to to see what is going on in other places. And out-of-body experience is actually the soul coming out of the body and traveling physically, if you can call the soul physical, I want to say metaphysically, to another site and living and being there, present over there, wherever there is. And then able to return following the the silver cord or the cosmic cord and coming back into the body. So those are the three distinct states. Remote viewing is awake, conscious, alert, intentional, directed. Lucid dreaming is asleep, higher consciousness, open, receptive. You're not going there, it's coming to you. And then out-of-body experiences, you're leaving and going as a spiritual body ball of light, what have you, and observing and experiencing and receiving information. And this information can be information in the present, information from the future, or from the past. So I'd like to give you just a few examples. Um, I say it's a survival function that belongs to all of us that was very active in our prehistoric days, in our pre-verbal days, but that has been over or suppressed by fears of superstition, accusations of, uh, of being superstitious um, and crazy. <laughs> That's another popular word for people who, who talk about things like this. Uh, those are all uh, 
the attempts of modern science and psychiatry to debunk the spiritual life. So many years ago, I had this lucid dream. It was on a Tuesday. And in this lucid dream, I saw a white car cause an accident. It cut me off and I crashed. And in the next instant, there were pieces of cars and bodies all over the place and death on the highway. And I was standing there seeing the pieces of my car and other cars being hauled away. I could hear the the tow trucks and the yelling of these gruff tow truck drivers trying to get the business and act like parasites on the victims, you know, just getting money from them. It was really loud. And I said, my God, my God, he's showing me this. He's telling me I've got to go through this. There's no way I can escape it. But he's showing me that if I do something slightly differently, I do something right, nobody has to die. So the, the, the upshot is this. On the following Friday, which was the solstice of 2002, I was invited to go to a party in Brooklyn on a weekend on the solstice. And those are three rules that I had that I would never go out on a Friday to Brooklyn and never travel on a solstice. But because it was, a friend was so close to me and he, his heartfelt invitation, I felt I had to go. So I went, but I was bothered by the fact that I had seen a white car cause this accident, and I had a white car. So I decided, well, maybe if I change the color of my car, it won't happen. So I borrowed my family's van, a gold-colored transport van, a Pontiac transport van that looked like a space shuttle. And so I went out in a very different car. And as a result of being in a big van, what you might call an SUV these days, when the accident started to unfold, I had already dreamed it. And I saw a white car cut off another car, three cars ahead of me. And as a result of seeing it happen, I was able to act and react in such a way that we the crash happened like an accordion and no one was killed. Some people were very badly hurt, but no one was killed. And I'll tell you this, as the crash was unfolding, the first car the first car cut off the second car, the second car hit the wall on the left side, the third car hit his tail, hit the wall on the right side. There was no thoroughfare, the whole area was blocked off. The fourth car hit them and I decided if I turn this van and swerve, I'll get hit on the side. The gas tank will explode. It'll be a fireball. No, this car was t built to take it head on. And I went right into this Ford Explorer. And because I was in the van and not in my Firebird, I would have been killed in my Firebird. The van took it like a like a an egg, just crunch, crunch. And then I heard screeching brakes and banged from behind and then another one. Six cars, seven cars were involved in the crash. No one was killed. But let me tell you this. What I saw on Tuesday when the white car caused the accident in my dream was what the first man in the car, the first car that went into the wall, it was what he saw. So my soul was in that man's body seeing through his eyes on the Friday while I was receiving the information on the Tuesday. 
So this is how remote viewing and out-of-body experiences work. The thing is to be able to interpret the experience. You know, remote viewing is as old as the hills, let's say. The first remote viewer in, 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 in my uh, chronology is Joseph in the Bible. Joseph on the coat of many colors. Yeah. The first dream yeah. he had. The first dream he had. He saw those uh, well, sacks of wheat dancing around and were dancing around his and bowing down to his. And he got his brothers mad by saying, "Oh, that dream's easy to figure out. You're the other guys dancing around me, and you're going to bow down to me one of these days." Remember that part of the story? Yeah. And they were yeah. like, really insulted and affronted and uh, they didn't like him very much for that but then of course he went into exile he sold as a slave and he rises in the court of the pharaoh as what a dream interpreter and so what does he have he has his dream or oh, the pharaoh has the dream actually the pharaoh has the dream where he sees these these cows and uh seven cows and he has no way of interpreting it but he's heard of Joseph's uh, skills in prophesying and uh, interpretation. So he calls Joseph in, and Joseph says, oh, yeah, your dream is very easy. You're going to have uh, seven years of uh, seven years of, of wonderful crops, and then you're going to have seven years of a terrible drought. So your dream is telling you to prepare for that. And so that saved Egypt. And then we have... Um, the story of uh, Pontius Pilate and his wife. And his wife had the terrible dream about what was going to happen and tried to intercede with Pontius Pilate not to uh, execute Jesus. But the fact is that that was something that was essential to the evolution of humankind. And Jesus had to go through the mission that he came here to fulfill. To teach us all that we are immortal. The body dies, but the soul and the spirit go on. And then we go into Shakespeare and, uh, you know, it's all over the place in Shakespeare from uh, the witches in Macbeth who could see the campaign that defeats Macbeth when uh, Dun uh, Dunham Wood comes, uh, comes to Dunsinane. Um, so it's a very well documented phenomenon. But when science came along and imparted or imposed the strict materialistic view of the universe it uh, kicked out all of this um, spiritual stuff that they're uncomfortable with but then that little water molecule boring through in a quantum state I feel that's an analogy to what we're talking about right here that our souls may be uh, acting probably are acting living in the quantum state and are able to tunnel through Speaking of tunneling, in uh, in the lectures that I will be giving, I'll be um, giving assignments and giving literature to to pursue and to study. And one of the important books uh, in the development of these skills uh, in my life was by Franklin Merrill Wolf, who wrote a book, Pathways Through to Space, because this thing came upon him very quite spontaneously. He he entered a, a very high state of consciousness and in that state of consciousness he was able to liberate his soul and start to travel through space and see things that uh, are not accessible to the five senses so these uh, higher senses are part of our, our birthright and we must reclaim them and so 
Otherwise, you know, otherwise you're living in in a in a in a world of domino theories where everything in life is just happening one thing right after another, like dominoes falling in a big uh, stack, like you see in those contests. But the fact is that we do have the ability to change the way the dominoes are going to fall, or if they're going to fall at all. So part of my my uh, my work is to I think it's empowering people to believe that you have power to change the destiny of the world, to change the destiny of your life. Not everything is uh, doom and gloom. The apocalypse doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen today. It doesn't have to happen tomorrow. It's up to us to accept it or uh, deflect it. And that's what I think that all of us must do as uh, war fevers and war frenzies are uh, being conditioned and implanted in our in our minds, we must reject that and uh, work for peace. Peace in ourselves, peace with our fellow man, and peace in the world. So I totally agree. Totally I think agree. that you have really uh, been so inspirational tonight with what you have uh, been able to bring to us I just I'm just enthralled with what I'm hearing. But at this time I think I'd like to uh turn you over to my co host Ariel who has the switchboard. Would you be willing to talk to maybe a few people that might want to call in and ask you a question? I would love to. It's one of okay. my favorite Well it's been my pleasure, Robert, and we will we will have you back on. Let me know when you wanna come back on, if you have a book or if you have something you want to announce to our group. You know, we have very awake starseed that listens oh, to our show you. all over the world. So, Thank you. you know, yes. be be um be back on our show and be our guest, okay? Thank you, sure. Okay, Look thank forward. you. And back to you, Ariel. Okay. Well, that's is this has just been fascinating and I I can see that I mean, you have investigated and been a part of so many um spiritual disciplines and um study uh, and I just want to get a little bit more information for people that um, might be interested in coming to your seminar, which is in um, in May and June. And this is at um, the Edgar Casey yes. Center. Is yes. that in New York? Yes, the Edgar Casey Center in New York, not the one in Virginia Beach. Uh, it is ARE, the Association for Research and Enlightenment. It's at the Edgar Casey Center in New York, 241 West 30th Street. And it's going to be four weeks in June, uh, beginning June 8th. That's a Wednesday, and the following ones will be each Thursday. And uh, each week we will take a particular course and develop uh, to develop remote viewing, lucid dreaming, and out-of-body experiences. Um, I could give you a, a brief description. Uh, part of it uh, I've done already, which is, the historical part of uh, where how much remote viewing has already been done and is in uh, uh, sacred writ and in historical uh, documents, Edgar Casey, Robert Monroe, but uh, also correct egress, how to clear yourself, um, clear yourself physically and spiritually to be able to do these things. If there's noise, you know, when when you're trying to communicate. If there's static, if there's noise, interruptions, distractions, it's uh, it makes things difficult. 
So clearing uh, your your environment and your internal environment yourself of noise is a very important part of this. And I'm talking about emotional noise, disturbances of your your spirit, uh, uh, negative emotional states. You, you know, you really can't do these things if you're angry. You can't do these things if you're greedy, if you're looking for some kind of power to come out of it that you can utilize um, for for whatever other than spiritual purposes, uh, it won't work. So clearing your internal environment, uh, there's something in Taoism that I learned many years ago, which is called clearing the 10 psychic channels. These are 10 acupuncture meridians that are essential to spiritual well-being and to be able to... Um, to experience these different states of consciousness, as well as breathing techniques and relaxation techniques and alignment uh, postures and poses that uh, help an individual open up these channels so that your soul is free to to come and go uh, as you choose. And um, then we also will we make uh, we do experiments and then we do reports. We share our experiences. And on the final, uh, the final seminar, we actually target a very special place, and we go there. I had this program in uh, 2010, and it was a remarkable program, a remarkable experience. And we used um, Ingo Swan's work, uh, Penetration. There's a book that Ingo Swan wrote about his work in Project Stargate. So I give the literature and uh, the references and... Uh, links as much of this is available on the internet and so it's a comprehensive um, it's a foundation a good foundation in these developing or reacquiring these uh, lost skills of the human soul human spirit well that is really exciting can i give you one more experience that i had sure it's a very important too um and again, this is how it's, it's synchronicity. I believe in the collective unconscious. You know, the collective unconscious is, is where God speaks to us, and we are all sharing in it. But in, in, um, in the summer of 1997, I went to Stonehenge, and I officiated one of the ceremonies there. And I recited something that brought a certain lady to tears and totally overwhelmed with emotion. And I didn't understand why. Then I went to visit uh, Hampton Court, where Anne Boleyn was uh, was raised. And when I walked into the chapel, this music came on, and it was Pavan for a de- Pavan for a Dead Princess, a very beautiful piece of, of music. So then, in this summer, I believe it was August of 1997, I'm in New York, and on a Tuesday, I went to Jones Beach. And I was doing the form, looking at the water, and all of a sudden, out of my peripheral vision, I thought I saw a sea serpent undulating in the waves. And as I came around and looked at it, I saw it was an 18-foot-long plank of a piece of a pier that had broken off in a storm. It was about two feet wide, three inches thick, and about 18 feet long. And it was full of nails. And I went into the water, and I got it. I dragged it out, carried it out about 200 feet into the sand, and I um, and I, put, I left it there. But I thought the tide might take that out. That thing could wreck a boat. 
So I called the Coast Guard the next day and I, uh, at Jones Beach and I said, listen, I'd like you to go out and remove this thing because this could really kill people or take out a boat. It's got nails in it. It's behind the lifeguard stand at Jones Beach, beach number one, blah, blah, blah. And the man who answered the phone answered, hello, U.S. Coast Guard, Ensign Doty. And so I spoke to Ensign Doty. The next day was Wednesday, and in the afternoon, I was in my kitchen, and I heard this voice of a woman as clear as a bell say, Doty, Doty. And I was taken aback because it seemed like she was standing next to me in the kitchen. About an hour later, my brother called up and he said to me, hey, I got a new job. It's a wonderful job. You've got to meet my boss. I said, really? Yeah, she's wonderful. You've got to meet her. Her name is Mrs. Doty. I go, oh, wow, this is strange, <laughs> you know? So then the next day, Thursday, I get a magazine in the mail that I subscribe to. It was called Paranoia Magazine by a wonderful editor named Joan Dark, to whom I owe a lot, a really great friend and supporter. So in this, uh, it's about UFOs and U.S. Air Force disinformation techniques and how they had bamboozled a lot of people by planting false information about UFOs and that the spearhead of this Office of Special Investigations um, hoaxing of UFOs information to deflect people on the wrong track was being um, conducted by a certain Sergeant Richard Doty. Right, so Ensign Doty on Tuesday. The voice of the woman saying Doty, Doty in my kitchen. My brother having a, a boss named Mrs. Doty. And now I get this magazine that says that the, the, the principal... Um, anti-UFO disinformationist in the United States Air Force is, is Sergeant Richard Doty. Okay, we come to Friday. On Friday night around midnight, I'm watching CNN as I'm working here in my, my computer and listening to TV, and I got word that Princess Diana had been in a, in a crash. And of course, you know what a, what a sensational thing that was, what a terrible thing it was, what terrible news it was for everyone. So I'm I'm right there as the words are coming in, as the reports are coming in, and all of a sudden CNN found an eyewitness to the crash who had been in the tunnel with Princess Diana, and he said that after the crash he was one of the first people to run up to the crash and look inside, and he heard, he looked inside, and the princess was still alive, and what she said was, Doty, Doty, Doty calling out the oh name my gosh. of Doty. So, my dear friends, I heard her voice on Wednesday before that Friday. And when I heard that, even now as I tell you the story, the goosebumps and the hair stand up on my arms to say to you how closely we are all connected in one spirit, that we share souls. We are one mankind, one humankind, and we must adhere to humanity because there is an evil force. You mentioned Lucifer in the beginning. That is the most inhuman being that God ever miscreated. He was quite an accident, but he hates mankind. He detests mankind. He seduces mankind and lead, trying to lead us all to our own destruction. So we must reject that. There are many people uh, dallying with those ideas now, 
Satanism is becoming very popular, being forced on us by everything from the mass media and advertising to Walt Disney. And we must stand strong against the Luciferic element in society. It's trying to lead humanity to its own self-destruction. And another time I will tell you where I got that message. That message came to me from a spirit that came to me and nearly killed me. And another time I will tell you that. But my whole life has been a preparation for this cosmic battle and this cosmic war in which we're engaged. And humanity will triumph. But we must do I it believe in the that right too. way. Wow. <clears throat> you, you're so right. I mean, you've got it. You, you just, I know that everyone in the audience is like nodding their head. I know it's shocking because political correctness is, I just read something that George Carlin said, political correctness is fascism pretending to be manners or good manners. (laughs) (laughs) So we must cease cease being politically correct and speak our our minds, our thoughts, defend, defend what you believe, present your ideas, If your facts are right, your ideas will be accepted. If your facts are wrong, they are not facts. And you will be corrected. And you must be grateful to be corrected. Because if you're on the wrong course, and you don't take a course correction, you will not get to your correct destination or your your goal. So say what you think. Defend what you know. Present your ideas. Present your facts. If your facts are right, You'll be accepted if your facts are wrong. They are not facts. That's my advice right. to myself. Right. Yeah. Well, like it. That's very good advice. Well, we actually have a caller that's been waiting patiently to speak to you. So um, if you're ready. I'm ready. Uh, okay. You are going to be speaking with Althea. So let me get your microphone open. Hello, Althea. Thanks for calling. You're on the air with Robert Morningstar. Hi, Ariel. Hi, All Star Seeds, and hi, Robert. Hello, Althea. Nice to hear your voice. Well, thank you. I just wrote down a George Carlin quote a couple days ago, uh, <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> listen, I was listening to you, and, it, and I do have a question, but I would like to riff on a few things that you said, um, sure. mainly in a, an appreciation. I think that truth is something that you can only ex- re-experience. And through deep appreciation, you can study and re-experience it anew and share it in a more articulate way. Um, And so as you were discussing a few things about the dancing, you transported me back to a moment that I had in the Yucatan where I was watching Japanese dancers in a moon dance, dressed in white, with their black hair, it's dusk. And ah, I just really want to thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) Very happy to hear that. That re-experience. And then also when you were talking about um, basically how everything is, well, well, how you can, there's a, a turn, like in the universe, a turn, a vortex. And with the dancing, um, there's a vortex. And I've always said righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. It's, you know, everybody in America knows that one. But you get that right turn that um, that locks you down into matter. That's what brings us down into matter. As you t- 
turn right. right. And as That's you turn cool. left, you are reversing, you know, the, the the matter and opening up to the universe. And often when I am in my work, when I sit down and I'm meditating, I'm in a counterclockwise spin so that I can open up more fully to um, God's flow. You are absolutely right. And let me well, tell you why. Let me tell you First of all, I mentioned the left-hand rule. That means that uh, if you, um, you curl your fingers a certain way, if the, turn, if the fingers are curled to the left, your thumb points to the way the energy, the angular momentum flows, the North Pole. But this is the most important part. As, as the rainbow dancer, first one in a thousand years, that uh, it was an experiment in, in science, actually, to discover why turning to the left was so important. And here it is. Your heart is offset from your center line slightly to the left. So when you spin to the left, and primarily when you spin to the left, you spin on your left foot, your heart is spinning on the axis as in the center, and the vortex is helping your blood flow and magnetizing your body with the north pole up toward your head and the south pole down toward your feet. And so the blood flow is... Um, uh, assisted by the by the rotation in that vortex. If you spin to the right, you spin primarily on your right leg, and your heart then is orbiting the axis. It's going around it, <clears throat> and it's being thrown away by the centrifugal forces, which causes uh, stress. But it also reverses the energy, so that your soul energy is going downward toward the infernal regions rather than ascending upward toward the celestial region. So that's a physical explanation of why the spinning is done to the left. Your heart enters the center of the vortex, the central axis. Uh, Jimi Hendrix called it axis bold as love. And the Sufis believe that if you enter uh, in the right spirit and arrive at the center, you will encounter the beloved. That's that's who they call God, the beloved. And the Sufis existed before Islam existed. Sufis go back to the time of Abraham. And uh, it is said that the Sufism and the spinning came from um, spinning, um, spinning yarn on a spindle, giving the idea of, of this relationship of, as I said before, rotation, spin, imparts order to the universe. If there were no spin, there'd be no order. Everything yeah, would beautiful be sharing. Yeah. So when you're turning right or like grounding in the matter, so when you're turning right with your right-hand foot, then with your heart being offset, your y-axis isn't, isn't lined up. Correct. Okay. So that's just another way of saying it mathematically. Yes. Yes, indeed. It's 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 quite remarkable, and then your and your heart suffer. It doesn't suffer the stress if your heart is and the blood in your heart. Imagine taking a bucket of water and just spinning it around on a rope, you know, <laughs> rather than having the bucket standing there and stirring it with a spoon. Here's the other interesting thing. This analogy: if you take a bucket of water and you take a spoon and start spinning it and stirring it and stirring it, what happens? You see the center of the water sink, and the faster you spin it. The deeper it goes, and a hollow opens up in the center. That's that's analogous to 
to that sacred space into which you enter. So when you're spinning, all of the water molecules in your body are being thrown out to the periphery by centrifugal forces, and this hollow space is opening up deep inside you, which it makes which makes it possible for you to, dare I say it, cohabitate with God, create a well, space. Absolutely, with God. I call it the, I call it the widening of the central column. Well, yes. The other thing is that in that that column, as the water goes to the periphery, the fire of life is centered in that column. So you are creating the pillar of fire and entering that. Yeah, I do know that. that was, uh, wonderful. It's really nice to hear your voice because I understand uh, from from your expressions the physical understanding that you have as a dancer of what we're talking about. People who do not dance uh, do not have access to this understanding. It's It's a physical, mental, and spiritual understanding that... Uh, Centered dancing brings you closer to God. I call myself a celestial dancer, a soul traveler. I'm not a dancer, but I, I, you know, after maybe a, well, this is, I'm riffing on something. I, I, will just drop that. <laughs> I was like, after <laughs> yoga, I actually do get up and I spin, and it's like because I'm in that peaceful state, and so I can just enjoy the dance for the dance. But in terms of when I'm actually meditating or I'm soul traveling through stargates that appear in my mind's eye, you know, that's part of the process that I go through is turning, is spinning my energy field in a counterclockwise motion so that I can unlock and travel. Well, that's the way to do it. I wanted to say, you know, Nietzsche, the philosopher Nietzsche, is one of the most terrible minds uh, that humanity's ever suffered. He, he birthed a lot of evil. But even amidst all of the negative anti-human thoughts which he unleashed upon the world, there is one thing he wrote that I thought was, was good. And it's in Azor Sprach Zarathustra, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. The one thing I think that he that he said that I that resonates with me he says, I could never believe in a God who does not dance. Oh right, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I agree with that. He was okay with that one. But I have my question to you because I, I have a, you and I could we could really enjoy a conversation. But my question to you is like when travelers are visiting a foreign land, they carry a passport. Um, which gets an entry and an exit stamp. So I'm curious, is a fingerprint or energetic imprint left at the target when remote viewing a probable reality, whether or even whether it's a past or present event? Well, that's a very interesting question, and it brings me to this, this idea that of, of warnings, you know. Um, I know of a case where two psychics, remote viewers, decided that they were going to remote view the Dulce base, which is a horrible place of horrors, you know, the Hall of Hell, uh, in Dulce, New Mexico. They wanted to spy in there. And they succeeded in entering. And when they were in there, they saw the horrors of the genetic experimentation that the ETs are conducting with human beings and hybrids there. And suddenly they got a sense that they were, they were perceived, you know, and that ah. another another psychic force was aware of them and alerted 
the base to their presence, and they retreated, but they found that they had been followed by that psychic force. And the psychic force that they described, they called it Lucifer. They felt that what is going on inside the Dulce base is demonic and diabolical and that it is under direction of Lucifer and that that's who followed them. And it, uh, it almost drove them quite crazy. So one must be careful where one ver- ventures into. Do not tread. Do not tread where angels fear to tread. Do not go where angels fear to tread. So unless you're a cosmic warrior and ready for for that challenge. But at, uh, I, I, for one, would not try to remove you the Dulce base. Ah, uh, yeah. No, it was, um, yeah, no, but that isn't. I think you do. Let, let me just say this. You said about fingerprints. There are times when I have had remote viewing experiences where people came back and called me and told me they, that I was there. That they saw you. They saw me or they heard me. Some mm-hmm. of my types students report like you know saturday i was i was doing the form in my living room and i heard you just tell me and this was my friend patrick and many years ago he said pat just let it go he said he heard those and i had dreamed about him that that uh that night so yes we do and other sensitive people can feel it and insensitive people can't feel it so that's what you're dealing with a sensitive soul will feel your presence. I mean, I have, when this uh, experience that I described to you all about Professor Chang's visitation and the blessing right. and the knowledge conferred upon me, not only I opened the channel to many, many ghosts since that time uh, have visited me. At times I have died the person's death in, in the lucid dreaming state. I have died the death of the person and found out that the person, that the person had died the next morning. One of those was Christopher Reeves. You know, for the last uh, 30 years or so, I've had a picture of Christopher Reeves, a Superman, hanging in my bedroom. Uh, My brother gave it to me when he went away. He went to Seattle, and uh, we're in New York, so he moved to Seattle. And so he gave me this framed photograph of Christopher Reeves, whom I had met when he was uh, shooting Superman in New York City. And I always felt a little kinship with him. You know, he was a good soul. So one one night, uh, many years ago, I dreamt that I was flying. But I was flying on my back and I couldn't move. And I was flying down and I was flying down into a volcano. And as I was flying down into the volcano, I could see the, the caldera walls rising around me. And then the roundness of the the crater itself and just a circle of sky and all this black. And I was saying to myself, no. I'm flying, but I don't want to fly down. I don't want to fly backwards. I want to fly up. So I didn't have the, the ability to direct my flight. And I, I dreamt that. I was saying, this is a really strange dream, you know? You know? I'm flying in the sky, but I'm flying in the wrong direction. And I'm descending when I want to be climbing up into the blue sky. And I woke up kind of bothered by the dream, you know? The next uh, Within the next hour, I turned on the television and... CNN reported the death of Christopher Reeves, whom we all know was terribly died, paralyzed, uh, in a bed that used to turn him over, and the, the poor man uh, succumbed after many years of being in that state. So that's just one instance, and there are many others, many other people. And I think it is this 
this kinship that I talk about is spiritual kinship. It uh, can be affection. It can be love. It can be admiration. Um, it also sympath- could be your soul family. You know. Um, That's right. I, I believe yeah. in the open soul. I believe that there is Absolutely. there is a great soul, and many people can be possessed or be animated by the same soul. So I certainly do believe that. I believe that I shared soul with uh, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, that's the sense I get because oftentimes, um, you know, and I'm sure our listening audience can feel it. It's they'll have a they'll know of a passing before someone, you know, whom they don't know, but maybe on the global scale, um, you know, they're aware of. And you know, oftentimes it is just full family. Yeah, I'll tell you another person with whom I had, and I believe I still have a deep spiritual kinship. I died the death of Ronald Reagan. And, That's interesting. And Ronald Reagan had two close ex- encounters with death, and on each of those days, I, I had a, a, a life-altering and life-shattering experience. Especially the night uh, on the night of the day that he was uh, shot, and I received the message—the message that I've been giving to you today. I got that message on the day Reagan was shot, and it is this. Lucifer Lucifer wants to destroy mankind by leading mankind to his own self-destruction. Perhaps at another time I will give details, but that is that was a, a life-altering experience and I only I only survived that experience. I almost died. I have never come closer to death than the encounter that I had with a ghost that came to my bedside to warn me of this this mayhem, luciferic mayhem that is that a certain faction of people are trying to uh, loose upon mankind. Interesting. Um, Can I ask you one last question? Sure. Do you have um, Atlantean memory? Yes, I have had, and especially in the 1970s, I had many upwellings of Atlantean memories that, uh, and you know what? It also revealed to me that relationships that I was working out in this life were relationships that had that had started back then. That souls that it, with whom I had been related, people that I loved then, and people that I hated or hated me then, were still working out the problems here. There were that's why I said it's it's like a college, you know? You go right. uh, mm-hmm. school. And you either Thank get you. promoted or demoted. So yes, yeah. I, I, and they are there. Well, yeah, there, there's an entry and an exit, and at, at one point in time we all exit in a beautiful way. Um, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your sharing. Thank you for your call. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Thanks, Althea. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, well, we are just about out of time here, and... Um, we don't have anyone else waiting in the, uh, for questions, so I think this is a good time to tell people sure. how they can find you, how they can contact you, how they can find out about more about the seminar if they're in that area. Okay. The best thing is to contact the Ed Casey Center in New York City. It's at uh, 241 West 30th Street. If you Google Ed- Edgar Casey Center NYC, you'll get all the information. And I would like to uh, thank Sylvia Chappelle and uh, Tiana Chekic, who are uh, co-sponsors and my sponsors there. 
and uh, they'll be happy to help you with information registration. And you can, uh, it's of course, I would prefer that uh, you sign up for all four sessions, but it is possible for you to attend one session or the other, and they can give you the details on uh, the different subjects that we'll be covering during those four weeks. That's June 8th, and then um, June 16th, and every Thursday, uh, the last three Thursdays in June. And we'll continue with other programs at the Edgar Casey Center, perhaps in the fall. So I encourage you to go to my Facebook. The information is also there. Facebook and Robert Morningstar with the uh, head of a dolphin. As I espouse the mind of the dolphin. And um, I also have uh, UFO Digest. By the way, ufodigest.com is a uh, periodical for which I've written for probably now 12 or 13 years. I'm the editor. We have some wonderful articles there. Recently, we, are, we have a special one on the ghost rockets of 1946, which overflew Sweden. We have several excellent accounts of alien abductions and ghost experiences. One uh, by Chris Holly, who is one of my favorite writers, a very, uh, very skilled writer and very, very well-versed well, well in the alien abduction uh, phenomena and helps a lot of people. She wrote an article called Two Sisters about two sisters who were abducted throughout their lives, even into old age, and how at a very critical moment a ghost came for their family interceded to protect them from from aberrant extraterrestrials. We have a lot on the JFK assassination. And uh, so tune in to UFODigest.com and if you want regular news I have morningstarnews.nyc, not .com, not .org, morningstarnews.nyc, and I put out a stream of news there. But I tell you honestly, Facebook is uh, probably the best way to stay in touch with me and with the subjects with which I deal. And they are international, global, spiritual, political, military, scientific, and uh, I have a lot of good friends, and I'd just like to end the show by saying hello to Jerry in New Orleans and Sarkis in Boston and Meredith in Los Angeles and all my other good friends uh, across the United States and across the world. I appreciate your support, and I love you all very much. Well, so, thank you so much for being with us this evening, Robert. And we do hope me. that uh, you won't be gone so long the next time. <laughs> it's been a few years since you've been on the show. Yes. So yes. we'll look well, forward to your next visit because I know that you have many, many layers of, of things to offer and help to uplift people. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, everyone. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. Have a so, good uh, just <clears throat> We sure will. And I just have one more announcement before we sign off here. Um just this morning, um, the astrology course, Basic Astrology for Star Seeds, is now available. It is on our website in the vault, and uh, you can you can get two different uh, methods of delivery. So please check it out. All of the uh, star seeds that have been begging to learn more about astrology, it's ready to go. So um, with that, I thank everyone for listening. 
and we will be back next week. Keep in mind that um, we'll be off the air for three weeks while we are in Arkansas for the Crystal Quest, but we will be back next week. And until then, remember to count your blessings. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 